You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. important word, an important time together, and we're going to kick things off. We're in a new series in, out of Daniel entitled, Be the Wave, and this series moves from the practical into the prophetic, and that's the way we're going to move through the series. We're going to kind of double dip in this series. We're going to start off with the practical, because that's the way the book of Daniel starts out, very practical, but then it quickly moves in after chapter six into the prophetic, and so we're going to get there. And there's so many things that are happening, so many things that are happening in our culture, in our church, in society, and around the world, that this is going to be a timely study. And I'm not in a rush. Some people have asked, well, how many weeks are we going to spend in the book of Daniel? I don't know. Daniel spent 70 weeks, so I don't know. We may be in there, you know, sometime. I I have no idea. We're going to let the Spirit lead on this. But there is a uh, book that I want to give to every family that will really, as we study this book of Daniel... I think it'll be important for you. There's an important conversation happening in our country, and I'm concerned by the way this conversation is being framed outside of the Bible. And uh, today, I see a lot of churches jumping on the social justice train and understand God is all for justice. The Bible is all about justice. But there is a way the Bible teaches about justice that is countercultural to what we're seeing And if you're like me, you're kind of wondering, what's the way to answer it? How do we talk about these things? How do we dive into it? And how do I navigate? Because there are good people on either side of this. And so a couple weeks ago, I found this book by Bodie Bachman. And this guy is a theologian. He's a scholar. Uh, I would love for you to take a moment and grab this book and read it. Now, here's what I'll do. If you promise me you'll read it, I'll give you the book for free. All right? If you promise you will read it, it's a free book. If you just want to add it to your library, it is $15, all right? If you just want a book on your library, it's $15. But if you say, hey, I will read the book, it is free. So one per family. We got 50 out there. And if I need to buy more, I will get more because I think this book is so important. So after the service, you could stop by there and grab the book. But then also you could sign up for our evangelism course that we're going to be launching because it's important that you and I know how to share our faith. So there's that. And then next, I want to... to do something a little bit out of the norm in our church service before we dive into God's word. It's very important what we're going to study tonight, but also this next part of our service is also even probably equally as important. You say, what's that? I'd like to pray for somebody and over somebody. And I didn't know you'd be here tonight, Debbie, and I'm so thrilled that you're here. This is, this is amazing. <laughs> Debbie, can I put you on the spot? Pastor Misao, can you help me with this? Debbie, can we bring you to the front? Can we pray over you? I want to put her picture up on the screen. I didn't know you were going to be here. And uh, sorry, I picked the, a weird picture. It's all looking all stretched out, all right? So um, Debbie has some severe health concerns. She's on the donor list. She goes through dialysis three times a week. We're praying uh, for her kidney and her liver that are failing. 
And so uh, her mother's here, her daughter's here. But the Bible says in James, and I'll read it for us before we dive into the service because I think it's so important. The Bible says in James chapter number five, verse number 13, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Verse 14, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Verse 15 says, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. The prayer of faith will save the sick. Saturday night last week, I was driving back from Santa Cruz doing a wedding. And I just felt this overwhelming sense that I was convicted by the Holy Spirit because he asked me why I was not praying for a miraculous healing for Debbie. He said, you're praying for her, but you're not praying that God would, that I would give her complete healing, that I would heal her liver and I would heal her kidney. And I, I had to confess that before God, that I, I was praying for her, lifting her up, but I was not praying for a miraculous, supernatural healing where the touch of God comes on her life and heals her to the point where she goes to the doctor and the doctor say, your kidney and your liver is perfectly healthy, perfectly normal. And so tonight I'm going to ask our whole church to join me in praying for and with Debbie. And so what I'd like you to do is, I know I just asked you to sit down, but would you stand and stretch out hands towards Debbie? And we're going to pray over Debbie. And we're going to ask that God supernaturally heal Debbie. We believe in a God who can heal, amen? We believe in a God who is the great physician, amen? These are things we believe for. But isn't it amazing the church has stopped believing and actually healing people? And you know why we have? Because we don't want to look foolish. And we don't attempt these things. And it's time, church, that we say, you know what? More than our church needs a building, more than our church needs anything else, we want to see Debbie healed. We want to see her liver and we want to see her kidneys healed and delivered. And that's what I'm asking you to join me with, that God would touch her. So I'm going to pray. And Pastor Meeks, can you pray next after I pray? And we'll both pray together and we're going to pray over Debbie. And we're going to ask God to heal Debbie. So you join me as we pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are the great physician. You build up people. You heal them. You deliver them. God, we sang about how you're a way maker. God, we sang about how you're a miracle worker. And God, Debbie needs a miracle. Her kidney needs a miracle. Her liver needs a miracle. Her daughter's sitting back there, and her daughter's praying that her mommy would get a miracle. Debbie's mother is sitting back there, and she is praying that her daughter would get a miracle. Debbie's church family is sitting here begging you to do a great work. And God, we believe that you can heal her. We believe that you can heal her and it not even be a second thought for you. Because we know that you are the great healer. We know you are the great physician. So, Father, we pray that you would touch her. We pray that you would send the Holy Spirit down right now. And we pray that you would begin the process of healing. Father, if you can raise up the dead with a word. God, if you can give sight to the blind. Father, if you can raise up those that are lame on their feet. God, if you can open dead and close wombs. God, we believe that you can heal her organs. We believe that right now life can begin again. We believe that you can do the miraculous. And we pray in faith, nothing doubting, believing that Debbie will be healed. 
We pray all these things in Jesus' powerful, wonderful name. And all God's people said. Father God, we thank you for Tevi's life. We thank you for the blessing that she is not only to us, but everybody that she comes in contact with Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray and we come together as a body. And your word says, where there are two or three gathered in my name, you be in the midst, Jesus Christ. And every time you show up, miracles happen. Things change. So I thank you for the answers to this prayers, Lord. Believing in faith. Lord, of what you're going to do in her life and the testimony that's going to come of it, Jesus Christ. Lord, we have united together, standing tall, Lord, raising our hands in victory, Jesus Christ. Thanking you for the great miracle that is happening. And as the song says, Lord, even though we don't see it, we know you are working. Yes, I thank you for what you did, and I thank you for what you are doing right now. I thank you for the opening of doors, and I thank you for the great testimony we're going to hear. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. We love you, Debbie. We love you. God bless you. Thank you, church family. Well, if you have your Bible, let's go to Daniel chapter number one. Daniel chapter number one. Amen. Aren't you glad you came to church today? I'm so glad I came to church. I love to be with God's people. Daniel chapter number one, we're going to be picking it up in verse number nine. Growing up, my mom had a verse she would often quote to me. Psalms 119, 165. I'd come home from school sometimes and I'd be a little bit upset or bothered by what the principal or what my teacher did. And I'd come to my mom and I'd complain to her. And she would quote to me Psalms 119, 165. I have six other siblings. We would get in fights and arguments. And then I complained to my mom about what one of my brothers or sisters did. And she would quote to me Psalms 119, 165. In the neighborhood, a kid in the neighborhood wouldn't let me come over and play at their house or wouldn't let me hang out at their tree fort or anything like that. I'd get mad and I'd come home and I'd tell my mom about it. And my mom would say, Psalms 119, 165. I'd go a little bit through high school, and man, I got a job, and you know, the boss doesn't always treat you right, and the coworkers don't always treat you right, so I'd go home, and I'd tell my mom about what happened, and my mom would say once again, Psalm 119, 165. Go off to college, roommates don't always act like they should. You know, you buy your food, you put it in the fridge, that's your food, not their food, and they take your food, and, and not just roommates, you know, and then you got a college professor that would go to your girlfriend and say, you should break up with Micaiah, and I would tell my mom about it, and I would complain, and my mom would once again quote Psalm 119, 165. Graduated college, got to ministry, started off in ministry as a single guy, and uh, somebody wouldn't treat me right in ministry. Somebody would say something, somebody would do something, I'd call my mom again. And I'd tell my mom about it, and she would quote once again Psalms 119, 165. Eventually, I figured out that I should probably go look up what Psalm 119, 165 said. So I went there, and here's what the word said it said, Great peace. Oh, I like that. I want great peace. I believe you want great peace. We all want great peace. It's just not the rest of the verse I didn't like. It said, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I like the first part. I don't like the second part. Have you noticed we live in a culture 
that is obsessed with offenses. We are so obsessed about offense that even if nobody has offended us, we like to find out about the people who have been offended by other people. We read on the news about how somebody's obsessed, uh, 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 frustrated because somebody has offended them. Or uh, we read about it because we live in a culture that is obsessed with offense. Do you realize this whole cancel culture movement is simply an offense that's been mismanaged? That's all cancel culture is. It's an offense that has been mishandled, not properly managed. We live in this culture and a society that just wants to perpetuate offense. As a matter of fact, this sermon is probably going to offend you. And I'm offended that you're offended. And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, if people wouldn't offend me, I wouldn't get offended. I know. I wish I felt, I wish we lived in that world, right? Where if nobody would cut me off, I wouldn't get offended. If nobody would steal the promotion from me, we wouldn't get offended. If the spouse would always treat me right, we wouldn't get offended. We live in a culture obsessed by offense and a society that's obsessed by it. But the thing with offense is it is the great progenitor of anger, of disagreement, jealousy, hatred, greed, divorce, separation, animosity, bigotry, and killings. It all starts with one little offense. You know, the biggest reason why people leave church today, do you know what it is? You would think it would be because there was theological differences. You would think it'd be based on somebody mismanaging finances or messing up in the morals. Do you know the number one reason why people leave churches today? Is because they're offended. It never has to do with anything because, well, that preacher preaches heresy. I kind of wish that's what people would tell me when they leave. Oh, you're a heretic. I could, I could be like, well, I can fix that. You know, the hard thing when it comes to offense is you don't know what's going to offend people these days. It just seems like everything's offensive. That's why I entitled this message. This message will offend you. That's the title. You can write it down. That's what we're putting on the podcast. This message will offend you because we take offense. I had one person in the church. They left. They got offended. You say, why did they get offended? They worked for a tech company. And out here in the tech companies, they will match your giving. You say, what do you mean match your giving? A lot of the tech companies out here, whatever you donate to a ministry or a nonprofit, a 501C, if you're on their list, they will match And so his particular company was going to double whatever he gave. So this person concocts his plan. He says, okay, here's what what we'll do. If the church writes me this check for the max amount, I'll give it back to the church. And then that company will double what we gave, and then you can give me half. So that way the church comes out ahead and I come out ahead. I said, first of all, I think that's illegal. Second of all, that's unethical. And third of all, we ain't got no money. (laughs) So we out of luck. 
And that's why they left the church, because I wouldn't do it. You say, that's pathetic. No, 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 no. This, the, when it comes to offense, you just don't know what's going to offend people. You just don't know what's going to set people off. And even though there are some legitimate things happening in our world today that we just say, how do we handle it? Because you watch the news. You have a conscience. You have a heart. You're watching these murders and these killings, and, and you don't know what to do with it. And some of us want to take on an offense that's happened on the other side of the country. Some of us are taking on offense that happened in our family. I've noticed that sometimes we take on offenses that aren't even our offenses. But we just take them on. There is a cultural wave of offense. And we said it last week. We're not here to glide with the tide of culture. And in this ocean of offense, we need to stay off its waves. So how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. Daniel chapter number one, verse number nine. This is what the Bible says. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let, this, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants." So he consented with them in this manner and tested them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature, wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all was none found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore they served the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding, about the which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. In this chapter, we see that these Hebrews are offended five times. The first offense is that they were stolen from their homeland, their city of Jerusalem. They were kidnapped. They were taken to another country, and they were taken to be absorbed into a new culture. That's the first offense. The second offense that scholars are 50-50 on is the fact that the Bible says that Ashpenaz was the prince of the eunuchs. Uh, this was a form in that day to make uh, your servants a little bit more docile. There was a form of castration that would happen among conquered peoples. And the scholars debate whether, but there's a good chance that Daniel and his friends were castrated. There's the second offense. The third offense would be the fact that they were given different names, stripped of their identity. There's the third offense. Daniel is then, the fourth offense, told to eat food that be offensive to his uh, religion, to his culture. 
There's the fourth offense. And then the fifth offense, which is just kind of the icing on the cake, is that he has to serve the one who brought about all his pain, Nebuchadnezzar. At the very end, he's got to go, and he's got to be on his best behavior to the very one who's caused all that pain, all that suffering, all that heartache. We don't know about Daniel's family. We don't know what's happened to his uh, uh, relatives, to his mother and brother, to his extended family. History tells us that King Nebuchadnezzar will go back to Jerusalem eight years after this and go and take more people from Babylon. And then 10 years, 18 years after this, he will go back and he will burn it down and basically slaughter anybody who's in any authority. There's a lot of offense in this chapter. There's a lot going on. But I want to bring about a truth. And I want us to start with this truth as we build tonight. And that is this. Forgiveness is foundational to our faith. I hope we could all agree on that. I hope we could all agree that forgiveness is the foundation of our faith. You see, the Bible tells us in Matthew 6, 15, but if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Luke 6, 37, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Life. God can forgive. Forgiveness is foundational. There's some foundational truths that we need to understand about offense because too often we take offense and we don't know what to do with it. We don't know that we are called to forgive. That Christianity is a, is a faith that's built on forgiveness, that that's foundational. You'll understand that that's foundational to any type of relationship you have. You can be married to the perfect husband and they will bring an offense against you you need to learn to forgive you can be married to the perfect wife and they will offend you and you need to forgive them you can have uh you can be employed by the perfect boss and they will offend you and you need to forgive them it doesn't matter what situation you and i are in we're going to experience an offense but here's the difference offended is a choice not a condition and anywhere in the verses that we read, do these young men have any root of bitterness? Are they upset? Are they angry? Are they, um, in any sense, do you, as you read the passage, even passive aggressive? No. In no way. Even though they have five reasons, big reasons, mind you, to be offended. Reasons that they could say, hey, we're going to go on a, a we're, gonna, we're not going to eat. We're going to go on a protest. We're going to march through Babylon, and we're going to uh, uh, break down some windows, and we're going to burn some, some buildings, because we're offended. You see, offended is a choice, not a condition. You see, taking offense is you announcing to the world that you can't control your emotions, so everyone else must do it for you. I told you this message is going to be offensive. Are you offended yet? Okay. Let me keep going. You being offended does not always equal that it was offensive. 
You know why? Because too often we do this. We put intent in front of an offense. We say, I know why my boss gave me the smaller office. He wants me to be uncomfortable. He wants to get rid of me. Uh, how about he's building another wing and he's got a bigger office for you, but for now he doesn't want to relocate everybody else, so he's got you in the small office, and when he builds the bigger wing, you get the brand new big office, but you up and quit and get upset and mad and it spoils your spirit. You can't make your sales, so he ends up firing you even though he had a better office for you. Because you let intent get in the way. And that is arrogance on our part. My wife was reading through one of my journals today, and she took a picture of it. And in my journal, this is 2006, I don't know why I wrote this, but I said, Jane, you don't know me. <laughs> I don't know why I put that. And she took a picture of it. She was like, what is this about? I was like, I don't know. I was just in my emo phase. I have this 2006. Why are you judging me? What? And, and why are you reading that, second of all? And then she said, I gave you the journal, therefore it's technically mine. I was like, how are you going to do that? Like, you know, it's just unbelievable. But it's amazing how we can put intent in front of an offense. You come home and you just say, oh, I know why she's mad. She's mad because I'm 15 minutes late. No. She's mad because you forgot all the groceries you're supposed to get on the way home. That's not why. But yet, how often do we put intent in front of an offense? Oh, I know why they did that. Unless you ask them, you don't know, do you? Unless you ask them. Unless you say, hey, did you mean to do that? Because you don't seem like the type of person that meant to do that. Because more often than not, when you have a conversation with somebody and they offend you, they are like, oh, I'm, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I, I never, oh, I, I'm so sorry. I never meant to do that. I know our church. I know our church family. I know even when some of you may and unintentionally hurt somebody, it's never your intention. It, you, don't, you didn't wake up on a Sunday and just say, man, I want to offend somebody today. I just, oh, just got it. Just got to get that out of my system. No. But yet, today, culture has started putting intent in front of an offense. You see, we need to guard against the thinking that we know them when we don't. You see, the problem with taking offense is that we don't know what to do with it once we're done using it. But let's go back to our Hebrews. You see, I want you to notice something. They were hurt, but they were humble. Verse number nine, the Bible says, now God brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should you see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had said over him, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Does he sound like an offended man? He's saying, please. He was minding his manners. His mama taught him well. I want you to write this down if you would. Be so kind to do so. Humility is a magnet for the Holy Spirit and for people. You can be hurt and still be humble. You can be hurting on the inside by an offense and say, I can still be humble. I love the fact, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. These uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they practice the three A's. You say, what are the three A's? They watched their attitude. Their attitude, and notice how they approached it. They said, please, can we have this food? Not only their attitude, their approach. They didn't approach like, hey, we don't eat this food. What do you think serving us this food? 
And then Daniel comes up with an alternative solution. Hey, we're here for three years. You're supposed to be indoctrinating us into your culture. I know three years is a long time. But in that three years, give us just 10 days. Let's just, let's just come up with a 10-day solution. You know, people that want to restore the relationship and work through the offense don't come up with alternative solutions. Offended people say, no, I'm out. Mm -mm. You meant that to hurt me, so I want nothing to do with you. I need a safe space. But a mature Christian says, can we come up with a um, way to work through this? Can we come up with an alternative here? Why are we just going to throw out everything? Because Daniel noticed something that in verse number 9, did you catch it? The Bible says that God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill. So Daniel was saying, even in the midst of all these offenses, that Daniel stayed humble. And because of his humility, God says, guess what? I'm attracted to humility. I read in Proverbs 18, verse number, or excuse me, Proverbs 15, verse 18, that before honor is humility. And then today I was reading, and once again, Honor came before humility, or, or humility came before honor. How are you and I handling when we're offended? Are we, are we just, who are they? To, do they know who I am? Do they know what I can do? We live in a culture that, that right now is just powering up, just taking offense, taking offense at everything. And we need to step back and say, no, we're not going to do that. This week, I, I personally reached out to several people that I know that I had unintentionally offended them, but I know they were offended, and we've had the conversation, but once again, I wanted to reach out to those people. Some I haven't talked to in years. Some had been just a few months, so I reached out to them, and I told them, here's why I'm reaching out to you, because the Bible talks about a root of bitterness that can grow, and if you have a yard like I have a yard, then you know that right now in spring season, there are several things that grow. Your plants are growing, and the weeds are growing, and so what I try to do is I try to pull my weeds when they're small, and where it's not too big. But if I leave those weeds for a couple weeks or a couple months, it, the roots grow deeper and it's harder to pick those things. And so I went to them and said, hey, I'm meeting with you because I just don't want that root of bitterness to get deep. I, I, I wanna snatch that from Satan. I don't want him to ever use the offense that I caused in your heart, the pain that I caused for that to cause you to make other bad decisions. So I'm gonna rip that root. I'm, I'm, I, you're gonna know that I tried to rip that root. And maybe that's what God is speaking to you right now, that there is a root that is growing and you need to rip out the root. You need to catch it early because you let something grow for too long, all of a sudden that thing gets deeper and it begins to saturate. And what did we say? Offense is the progenitor of jealousy, anger, hatred, killing. That all started with an offense that just grew and it grew and it grew. And here Daniel says, no, we're not gonna let it grow. He, even though he was hurt, he was humble. So let me ask you a question, and this really goes to point number three. Could it be that what you are holding on to may be the very thing holding you back? Could it be the very thing you're holding on to could be holding you back? You see, Nebuchadnezzar, he's the one that caused all of this. He was the one that just felt like he had to conquer the entire world. And so he had a strategy. It's a brilliant strategy. And when he would go into a nation, when he would go into a country, he would take people captive, and he would take those captives, and he would bring them into his country, and he would try to indoctrinate to, them, to their culture. But notice this. Verse 18, the Bible says, Now at the end of the day, he says, At the end of the three years, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. 
Then the king interviewed them, and among all them was none found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. These were uncommon men. It's one thing to be uncommon among commoners. It's another thing to be uncommon among uncommon. He said in my entire kingdom, he had just conquered the entire known world. So there are some smart people. And he's saying, hey, you guys stand out from everybody else. And here's what's amazing. This is the very person that caused all of the pain, but yet now they're going to serve him. The very person that has caused all of it. What if in this moment they were like, who are you? We hate you. We despise you. We're offended for three years. Look at everything you've done. But instead, that's not their posture. You see, we hold on too often to offense. You say, well, that's the Old Testament pastor. What does the New Testament say about offense? Because I've been told that I can be angry, just sin not. And Jesus flipped over some tables. That's a lot of things I'm reading right now. People say, it's okay for people to burn buildings. Jesus flipped over tables. Yes, he flipped over a table. He didn't burn down a business. There is a difference. And I know there are people who are saying, well, Jesus was just showing. No, he flipped over a table. He didn't burn down a business. There's a big difference. But I'm seeing something creep into our culture that we're allowing this. We don't trust uh, other people's justice. we got to take justice into our own hands. And we're not allowing the process to go through. And so Jesus lays out a process when people offend you. It's in Matthew 18. Here's what the Bible says. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuse to hear them, tell to the church. But if he refuse even to hear the church, let him be the heathen and a tax collector. What's the scripture saying? It's saying if somebody causes offense, you need to go to that person. What I find too often is there's an offense in our heart. And I'm going to tell you, anytime you're working with people, people will offend you. Every, wherever you go, if there are people there, you will get offended. Unless you are going to be Tom Hanks and move to an island and have a little ball named Wilson, then maybe you there, you won't be offended. All right? Maybe that's it. But if you are anywhere around people, people will offend you. But God knew that they would, so he put it in the book, How to Handle It. And in Matthew 18, it says, go to that person and talk to them. If they won't hear you, bring a witness with you. And if, not, if that won't work, then bring it to the church to pray over it. Then after that, you give them up. And he calls them a heathen and a tax collector. That means treat them like a lost person. Now, some of us take that and are like, yeah, treat them like a lost person. You're going to hell. That's, that's not how we treat lost people, is it? How do we treat lost people? We try to win them. See, there's this flip side of the church that says, hey, you offend me, and I try to do Matthew 18, and I tried to win you back, and you did nothing. Then guess what? The Bible tells you me to treat you like a heathen and a tax collector, and I hate the IRS. So guess what? That means I hate you. That's not what the scripture is saying. That's a gross misinterpretation of what he's saying. He's saying that you are supposed to win them. Matthew, one of the 12 disciples, was a tax collector. And Jesus loved reaching lost people. So we don't write these people off. We try to win them. It's called radical love. 
It's saying, hey, I will still try to love you. And that's what this text even goes on to say. Verse number 19 says, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? And Jesus said unto him, I say not unto you seven times, but till 70 times seven. You say, what's Jesus doing? You see, many of us think, man, now I just need to count 490 times. So somebody can, account, can offend me 499 times and now I've got to keep track? No, no, no. It's not about keeping track of how many times somebody's offended you. It's all about losing count. That's Jesus' message. He's like, you're supposed to just lose count. Stop counting how many times your spouse offends you. Stop counting how many times your boss offends you. Stop counting how many times your pastor offends you. Now, that's not an excuse for somebody to just be a jerk. The passage says, go to that person and say, hey, this happened. I want to make it right. But too often, we don't even follow Scripture. And that Scripture lays out how do Christians handle the disagreement. And too often, we're, we're ignorant to these passages because we're offended, we're hurt. We just go with our feelings. And many of us are watching what's happening on the other side of the country, and we're taking on that offense. And it's seeping into everything that we do on both sides of this. And as Christians, we need to know how to handle an offense. You see, Jesus was all about you losing count. I love what Abraham Lincoln, he said this, we should be too big to take offense and too noble to give it. I also like this quote. I read it this week. And I think it's so good. Michael Todd, the pastor of Transformation Church, said, offense is the currency of the culture. He said that's the currency of the culture, offense. But he said, forgiveness is the currency of the kingdom. If you're a Christian, that's our currency. We forgive. You say, but you don't know how bad I've hurt. You're right, I don't. And you don't know how bad I've been hurt. This is a two-way street. Every person in this room has been deeply hurt and none of us know how deep that hurt goes. So we show forgiveness. We show love. That's what Christ told us to do. But too often, we say, I'm hurt. And I got these offenses. And I'm just going to go, and I'm going to live how I want. And Daniel said, no, 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 I'm not going to hold on to this. Because the thing I'm holding on to is actually the very thing holding me back. Because so many times, we look at the offenses of our life, and man... There are three types of offenses. You say, what do you mean three types of offenses? There are those offenses that others put on us. You didn't have a father at home. Didn't get the same opportunities as the other kids. Got dumped or divorced. Went to a family member's house. And they abused you. Got fired. All of a sudden, you got all these things in your life. And you put these things on. And these are those offenses that you just kind of carry with you. And you look at these offenses and you want to do things like everybody else. But everybody else doesn't have the offenses you're carrying. And you're carrying all these offenses that other people put on you. 
And everybody's like, hey, let's go play basketball. Hey, let's go do this. Hey, let's go do this fun activity. And you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm coming. Whew, whew, this thing's heavy. But life never stops. So what's that mean? There's always more offenses because you're not dead, which means there's more opportunity for you to get offended. More people hurting you. You're now the manager. You're now the supervisor. Employees don't show up on time. Makes your sales report look bad. Somebody in your team didn't do the work they're supposed to do. You've got a child at school, and the teacher is mad at you. So to get at, at you, they punish your kid. You feel like you're getting passed over all the opportunities at work. Pastor preached a message on offense. Your wife won't talk to you. Your family's never there for you. All right, guys. Yeah, let's go play basketball. Let's go. I'm coming. This is how every father looks in the TSA line with their family. <laughs> Except there's usually a stroller. And you know what we get offended by? We get offended because we see all our church family and all our friends, and they don't have all the stuff that we have. And I'm offended that you don't have as much baggage that I have. As a matter of fact, I'm offended that nobody's helping me carry all these things. To which... You had a close friend tell you, I told you not to carry that. Why are you picking that stuff up? Why are you putting that stuff in your life? Why are you owning that offense? It says to take an offense. You took it. You say, no, 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 they put it on me. Yeah, but you kept it. You don't have to keep it. You just kept adding these things to your life. And this is, I'm not even focused. Thinking it, this is really heavy. Oh, yeah. And you got this stuff. And it's like, okay, let's go. We're going to church. We're going to go with the family. And I'm going to go have a, a good family time. And I'm coming. Yep, just keep going. Yep, going on date night. In the restaurant, you said party of two. There's more than two of you. I'm going to church. Why is everybody not like me in the small group? They don't like my baggage. They don't got the baggage that I got. When I start talking about it, they all want me out of the group. And man, this church ain't loving enough. They don't do enough for me. My wife doesn't love me enough, doesn't understand the pain I've been through. My kids don't support me enough. Culture doesn't understand me. The government doesn't send me a big enough stimulus check. All these things are happening. And I got all these offenses that I'm just carrying around with me. You see, there are the offenses that people put on you. Then there are offenses that you put on you. Then there are the offenses you keep on you. Hey, beautiful wife, come over here. Come over here. All right. Okay. Go ahead and take a break. Go ahead and take a break. No, 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 no. 
Come on, take a break. Take a break. Help me. This is heavy. I know you work out. Take it. Come on. Just take it. Just take it. Just take it. What am I doing? I don't want her to take it. You ever met those people? No, what do you mean? I don't want to go through a recovery program. Uh Uh-uh. I like this addiction. I mean, I don't like this addiction. Just follow me around. Come on, kid, 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 catch up. Come on. We got to take care of all these offenses. Nobody wants to help me. To which they would say, why are you carrying that? Why are you, why are you doing that? That's what offense looks like. It looks, let's say it, it looks ridiculous on us. Church, help me out. Say drop it. Thank you. Thank you. Because we are walking around with all these offenses that culture and the world has put on us. And we're wondering why we can't move on for God. We're wondering why we can't do great things for God. Now, I need you to look at the text one more time. But I need you to back up. The Bible says in verse number 5 and 6 that they gave new names. New names were given to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The word in the Hebrew, gave, Roger, you're going to love this. It's the same word, shoe, means to put on. Means to put on. Isn't it amazing? The, the Babylonians were putting stuff on these Hebrews. They were putting weights in their bag. They were things that the world has put on you. There are things that you didn't ever want it to happen. You didn't want the abuse. You didn't want the divorce. You didn't want the pain. You didn't want the disease. You didn't want it, but it's been put on you. But notice, if you would, verse number 8. The Bible says in verse number 8, we covered this last week. But Daniel purposed in his heart. Here's what's so awesome about the word purpose. It's the same Hebrew word as gave, shoe. What's it saying? Daniel said, you may put that on me. I put something else on top of it. I put something else on top of it. You tried to put a burden on me, I put a blessing there. You tried to put a new name on me, I put healing there. You tried to put an offense on me, I put forgiveness there. You tried to put a wound on me, I put Jesus on top of it. Whatever you tried to put on me, I put something else over that. You see, Daniel said, yes, I can get offended. Yes, I can get worked up, but I'm putting something else on it. And we put the blood of Jesus. It's covered. It's covered. Uh, A good friend of mine, uh, maybe remember him, uh, uh, Pastor Craig, he used to come here, and I talked to him this week, and he said, it's under the blood and deep in the mud. I was like, that's good. It's under the blood and deep in the mud. I like that. You see, you take an offense, and whatever's been offending you, you get to cover it. My question for you, and this is the challenge, what are you covering the offense with? Many of us with more offenses. Many of us, we just take another offense, and we just pile it on, and we just hungry for more offense. And you're, you're thinking, well, people are just so rude today. People are just so, so unsensitive to everything I'm going through. People are people. People are just people. They didn't, they're not going out of their way to hurt nobody. There's nobody in this world that's got your number aside from Satan that says, I hate you. There ain't nobody that's out to get you in this world. There ain't nobody that's out there to wreck your life but Satan. He's here to kill, steal, and destroy, and he will put all manner of junk on top of you, and that's where you have to purpose in your heart that you're going to put something else. So I get it. When you're offended, it's hard to deal with an offense. You're going to have to make the decision. What are you going to do? 
And that's where we say, I'm going to drop it because what I'm holding on to is holding me back. We would all agree that God has called us to more things. But this junk is going to hold you back. It's holding me back. And what you're carrying is going to hold you back in your life. Here's what's so amazing. Your kids are watching you and we become what we behold. Your relatives offended you, but your kids are now offended at your relatives. And your relatives ain't done nothing to your children. But you are passing that on. Hey, get this, get this, church. It ran in my family until it ran into me. Anger ran in my family until it ran into me. Abuse ran in my family until it ran into me. Substance abuse ran in my family until it ran into me. It stops with me. There's got to come a decision, and I know it's hard. But that's where Jesus steps in, and he gives us the grace, and he gives us the strength. Notice what Jesus gave them in exchange for all the weights that they were going to be put on them. He said, hey, I know you're offended. I know you've got this pain, but I've got something to cover it. You see, Jesus takes the pain. Jesus takes the offense. And all of it was put on him on the cross of Calvary. And he bled for you and he bled for me. So I don't need to take the offense anymore. I don't need to carry that offense. I can drop the offense. As a matter of fact, I can give God my hurt and he gives me healing. The Bible says cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. We've got a God who cares about every single hurt, every single offense. And I want you to know that God isn't looking down and saying, yeah, I use them to punish you. And some of you think that. Some of you think, well, I got passed over or I got this thing happen because God's trying to get at me. No, he's not. The devil's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the devil. God isn't working that way. God is trying to work all things together for good, not steal, kill, and destroy. That's the devil. And never confuse the two. But today, my friend, too many of us, we are confusing what God wants to do. So when somebody tries to put it on us, you must say, I'm not going to put that on me. You see, Proverbs 19.11 says, a person's wisdom yields patience. And it is one's glory to overlook an offense. It's to your glory to overlook the offense. And I know in today's culture, everybody wants you to just pick up an offense. I mean, the fact that if you tell somebody in Las Gatas that you eat gluten is offensive. The fact that you eat meat is offensive to people. They were like, do you not understand what they do to those cows? Yeah, they're delicious. And if you ain't eating it, more for me. All right? And yet, too many times, we take on these offenses. We are just so taking these songs on. Instead of saying, wait a minute, no, I don't have to take that on. You see, God gives in exchange for your hurts. He heals them. As a matter of fact, I love the way verse 21 ends. and We're running out of time. Thus Daniel continued into the first year of King Cyrus. And that's kind of a throwaway, a throwaway statement. But I think it's so powerful. You say, why? Because that means that Daniel served four kings. You say, what do you mean? Daniel didn't stay trapped by his trauma. As a matter of fact, the perpetrators who perpetrated the offense, Daniel outlived them. And their kids and their grandkids, Daniel outlived them. Why? Because he said, God... I can't change them. I can't change the situation. So I'm going to humble myself. That's all I can do. And in today's culture, you and I just want to go over to Minneapolis and we just want to like hug everybody. We just want everybody to get along. But instead, we got to say, you know what? Cancel culture stops with me. What offenses am I carrying? 
I love this. Verse number one. There's so many hidden truths in this passage. But in verse number one of Daniel chapter number one, it says, In the third year, in the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. But then what's interesting is that verse two, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. If you got a high letter of pen, would you circle that word Shinar? Because when I was studying this passage, I was like, what's Shinar? What gives? And then I found out that Shinar is Babylon. So I was like, Daniel, you wrote this book. Why didn't you just say Babylon? Because this is the last point. Daniel's trying to speak to you today, reader. He's trying to give you a message that would be passed down throughout time. He wanted you to know something. You kind of need to be a sleuth to catch it. He was trying to bury an Easter egg. He was trying to give you hope. He was trying to encourage you who would be offended, you who would have an offense done to you. He was trying to let you know a message. You say, what is that message? Rarely is the word Shinar used for Babylon. As a matter of fact, one other time it's used. You say, where's that? In Genesis chapter number 11, verse number 1. You say, what happened in Genesis chapter number 11, verse number 1? The Bible says that all the world was of one people and one language, and they were building a tower called Babel. And the Bible says that God came down, and God confused them. What is it saying? Daniel's trying to say, hey, guys, we're going to Shinar. But God still shows up even in Shinar. That God still comes down even in Shinar. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. That doesn't stop my God from coming down. Because the Bible uses the very word in Genesis 11 verse 1 that God came down. He left heaven. He showed up. He was there. And what Daniel's trying to tell his compatriots, he's trying to say, hey, if God came down in Genesis 11, maybe God will come down again. And he's trying to let you and I know that we can always have hope, that we serve a God who he rules and he overrules, that God can turn anything around, that God rules and reigns. And if he can rule and reign in a godless place like Babylon, guess what? He can rule and reign in San Jose, California. He can rule and reign at your job. He can rule and reign in your home. He can rule and reign in our church. He can rule and reign in our city hall. He can rule and reign in our local government. He can rule and reign in your neighborhood. That God rules. He will come down, and that's what we want. We want God to come down into our presence. We want God to come down and meet with us. That's what we long for. That's what we desire. So don't give up hope. You might be offended. You might be discouraged, but understand, we serve a God who comes down. We serve a God who, even though we don't understand what's going on, that God's ways are behind the scene, but God moves all the scenes that he is behind. And as we go into a time of invitation, as we close this service, we need to remember that offenses are going to happen. We live in a world where offenses are going to happen. And I wish, I wish nobody would ever get offended. I wish nobody would ever hurt anybody in this room. I wish no bad things would happen. But we live in a world that bad things do happen. And we as God's people have to say, people have offended us and have hurt us. How will we handle it? And what if the hundred of us that are here tonight, what if this week we said, you know what? 
I'm going to go to those people that I may have hurt intentionally or unintentionally, and I'm going to rip that root out. And I'm going to say, hey, the whole reason I wanted you to over tonight, I just wanted to say, you know what? Maybe that conversation, maybe that thing that offended you, and I never meant that to happen. And I don't want Satan to ever use me as the reason why you don't do great things for God. And it may cost you some money, it may cost you some time, but you will find that you are the recipitor of far more blessing than you could possibly imagine. Because before honor is humility. That if you will make yourself small in the eyes of God, that two people are attracted to humility. The Holy Spirit and people love humility. People love humility. And they're drawn to that. And what if we as a church could start a ripple effect? And what if you went to your employees and your coworkers and your family and said, hey, you know, that may have offended you. I never meant to do that. That was not my heart and that was not my intention. But if I did, I want to let you know I'm truly sorry. I care about you. And I want you to know if I ever offend you, you can always talk to me about it. And that, that's true. There'll be times that I'm going to say stuff even as a pastor. I don't mean to do. There are times that we do things that, you know, we just wish, ah, man, that was a bonehead move. But in that moment, if we say, Lord, forgive me, we go to that person, God can honor that. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, can we stand? We're going to pray. We're going to close in prayer. And we're going to open up this altar. And maybe the first offense is that maybe you're here and that you've offended your God. Maybe you've got to go to him and say, God, I need to get this right before you first and foremost. And God, I need to ask for forgiveness. God, I need you to forgive me. And then maybe it's some people. Maybe it's some things. But we as a church, let's humble ourselves. And let's put ourselves into a position where we understand that forgiveness is foundational to our faith. That the currency of culture is an offense, but the currency of the kingdom is forgiveness. And we are going to offer forgiveness so that we can receive that forgiveness. So right now, God, we pray. We pray for healing in our land. We pray for the racial divide. We pray for the spiritual divide. God, we pray for the offenses that some people have had done to them and some are holding on. May this evening, may the offenses be dropped. May they be left here at the altar. May they be left here in this building. May no person drive home this evening thinking ill towards anybody. In their heart, would you give them the grace to forgive? Would you give them the ability to drop the offense? Because you took all the offense on yourself, Jesus, and you bore it on the cross. You took all the pain, you took all the punishment. And now we can be forgiven. We pray this in Jesus' name. This altar is open for you. If you'd like to come, you'd like to pray. This altar is open for you. You come if the Spirit leads. 
We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.